You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. All right, so tonight we're in Hebrews. We're in the 11th chapter a uh, second time. Last week we missed because of connection issues. The internet here was down and we were unable to meet. Uh, so we're in the second half of Hebrews, uh, the 11th chapter. We recall the place of this chapter in regard to the rest of the book. That we had the arguments that were being made uh, through Hebrews of the greatness and superiority of Christ, a greater position and name than the angels, his relationship to humanity, the greatest of us, uh, yet commiserating with us and being so kind to us, greater than Moses, who was faithful in his house and establishing the uh, system uh, that they lived under with the law of Moses, uh, greater priesthood uh, than that was given through that law, uh, greater than Aaron, uh, greater than the first and uh, uh, the primogenitor of all the high priests of old. Uh, he was greater uh, than them, bringing us a greater uh, covenant with greater promises, mediator, of those things and bringing us uh, those things to us through a better ministry and ultimately his greater sacrifice. Uh, the blood of bulls and goats and those things offered then could not take away sin, but through the offering of Jesus Christ once for all, we found uh, we have been sanctified. Along the way, there are various exhortations made. Uh, we saw not to neglect, uh, not to stop believing the word, not to be immature, not to fall away, especially but have confidence in God's word. And in chapter 10, we had exhortations to fidelity uh, and to uh, faithful life. If we didn't do that, though, there was a certain terrifying expectation of judgment that remained. But we're not to be like that, but to live by, the, uh, uh, by faith. And we are, in Hebrews 11, given a number of examples of faith by which to live. So it is the 11th chapter, and last time we studied this, we saw we had in, uh, in, uh, in and through faith, confidence, assurance, approval, and understanding. And then we saw the faithful ancients. We saw about uh, faithful Abraham, and by faith, Enoch, and by faith, Noah. And then <coughs> the faithful patriarchs. We had uh, faithful Abraham. Uh, we had by faith Sarah, uh, we had by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Joseph, and then we had by faith Moses, starting with the faithful act of his parents to make sure that he survived and did not uh, fall under that sentence of death, which the Egyptian Pharaoh had given to all of the uh, Hebrew boys, but actually by their faith and by the action of God, he was raised though a Hebrew, in the palace of Pharaoh, and then he turned his back on that life, uh, Moses did uh, to live faithful in Christ. And that's where we start tonight, in that uh, uh, faithful life uh, that was uh, by Moses and then those who lived under his law. So we'll start in verse 23, and we'll conclude down in verse 40 uh, with the faithful lives. In the Exodus, in the conquering, in the uh, great number of people who lived under the law as faithful to God, 
and then how we have something even more. Let's read our text tonight and then go on. Uh, so Hebrews eleven twenty three, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for a reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the harlot, did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so they might obtain a better promise. And others experienced mocking, and scourging, yes, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, ill-afflicted, uh, ill-treated, men of whom this world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground, and all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. And so we see in the lives of these who had faith, it sometimes was hard to go on. But as we see by the warnings of Hebrews, it's literally hell to turn back. So we go on uh, faithful as the faithful always have, this should be our desire. Uh, let's briefly pause. Lord, we pray that you would help us to appreciate these people of faith, that we might learn by their stirring examples, that we might not just honor them with our lips, and we might not just know their stories in passing, but that we may deeply learn the values that they had. We may appreciate them, and we may imitate these who have obtained your approval. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we said last time in our study, we could speak for a long time on all of these. Uh, we could make each one of these characters a uh, Bible study by itself, maybe even a multi-part Bible study. Uh, there's just so much that is there. But the Hebrew writer gives us this short review to make a singular point. And so in that regard, this whole section is like a, a parable, like a parable of Jesus, 
there's one point that's being made. Oh, there's a lot we could dig out. But there's one point that's being made. And the one point is be faithful. That's the lesson. That's the entirety of the lesson. Be faithful. These people hold such a place in our minds, in our hearts, in our histories, in our stories. For one reason, they were faithful. And so now we center our story on Christ and our faithfulness to him. And we should imitate these folks. So we have the first uh, brought up the parents of Moses, uh, Amram and uh, Jochebed. Yeah, I had to look it up because uh, I never can remember Moses's parents. Uh, they hid him because he was a beautiful child. And so here we see God's purpose work through, um, you know, regular means, uh, through the things of his providence. I know that everybody thinks theirs is a beautiful baby. I'm just here to tell you that's not always true. Uh, although you should probably never say that, especially to anyone holding in their arms a newborn who doesn't quite qualify as a beautiful baby. But in this case, God used that special beauty of uh, Moses as a way to especially uh, make sure his parents knew this child had to be saved. All the children needed to be saved. Uh, all people are of worth. But God used these things in this case, the beauty of this child, to make sure uh, that the, they were not tempted in the least to uh, submit to the king's command. And so uh, all the babies were supposed to be thrown into the Nile. The Hebrew midwives uh, helped make sure they did not, and they received uh, the blessing of God, and they violated the law. But it was an immoral law. And so we might have uh, through uh, Moses or through other cases, uh, we might have reason to consider in what cases we might uh, need to be morally required, faithfully required uh, to break laws uh, that are unlawfully given. Uh, but we're not pausing for that. This is a lesson on faith, and we're going to stick with the main point of faith. Moses then himself uh, expressed great faith. Uh, he grew up in Pharaoh's house uh, as Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, had taken him in. He was literally a prince of Egypt. Later, it will mention the treasures of Egypt. I mean, we line up around the block to uh, go to museums to see the treasures of Egypt. I uh, not that long ago saw some old uh, footage. It's on YouTube. Everything's on YouTube. Uh, but it was some news reports uh, from the 50s of when uh, King Tutankhamun's um, uh, mummy and uh, some of the Things found in his tomb were first brought to the United States and put on display in New York City. And people were literally lined up for block after block after block just to see the treasures of Egypt. Well, this is the world in which Moses grew up. And he turned his back on all of that, choosing uh, to uh, join himself with his own people who were, as it says in verse 25, ill-treated. Yeah, they were slaves. They were oppressed slaves. They were a people being told, kill your children. They were a people being told, build without us giving you supplies. Uh, these were people under constant groaning. And he took on their burdens, uh, and he ended that a type of Jesus himself, Jesus coming from the treasures of heaven to the groanings and burdens of earth, uh, taking on and identifying fully uh, with uh, the people of God uh, and taking on all of the hardships of that 
Moses did that as well as a type of Christ. And he turned his back on the, as it says, passing pleasures of sin and the treasures of Egypt. And he took reproach, he says, the reproach of Christ. Now, uh, Christ was active in all these things. Christ is God. He was active in the deliverance of Egypt, you, uh, of the people from Egypt. You can find uh, texts that would support uh, Christ being active in that. I'm not sure if that's what the Hebrew writer has in mind or just saying that he suffered in the same way as Christ did. And he models for us, uh, honestly, truly Christian uh, behavior. And so Moses then uh, left Egypt. Uh, he was driven out. He uh, uh, showed up to uh, help the Hebrews. Uh, he killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew. And the people said, who made you our ruler and our judge? When Christ came to share the burdens of the people, to lift from them the burdens of sin, what did they say to Christ? The same. Who made you ruler and judge? And so Moses had a 40-year exile. Moses uh, left Egypt. Uh, and then after the incident of the burning bush, uh, God uh, called him back to lead that stubborn people out of the land. And they rejected him again as he did. Again, uh, he, uh, with nearly the perfect patience of Christ, led them for the next 40 years. Uh, of course, we know his one great failing, and he did not honor God, and he didn't eventually even get to go to the promised land because of his own sin, but my, well, how he was provoked into it. All right, so uh, back to verse 28, where we have the uh, faithfulness in keeping the Passover. So uh, Moses went back and he began to lead them. Uh, he led them through keeping the first Passover, the sprinkling of blood on the houses, uh, so the angel of death would pass over uh, them and, and, and uh, uh, be only on the Egyptians. They uh, selected that perfect lamb. Uh, they killed it on the evening of the 14th of the first month of their calendar. They put the blood on their doorpost, and on the night of 15th of the 15th of that month, uh, just as they had finished eating the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread, and they were dressed for travel, a uh, word came that uh, the firstborn had died as they ate, and the Egyptians were saying, get out and get out now. And so they did. And so by faith, uh, they had kept the Passover, and by faith, they were delivered from Egypt. There was a bit of a crisis when they got to the Red Sea. And verse 29 says, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea. Well, Moses had great faith. He told the people who were uh, uh, moaning and, and crying out, the Egyptians are upon us and they will kill us all as the Egyptians had changed their mind about releasing them. And Moses said, be quiet and see the deliverance you'll get from God. He raised his arms as God had told him. The Red Sea parted. As the text says, they passed through on dry land. And then the Egyptians, when they attempted it, they were drowned. So that's Exodus 14. And then we have the first song in the Bible, Exodus 15. A horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Uh, the people sang at their deliverance. Because the Lord had fought for them, they stood by, they saw the victory, they walked through the water. Uh, Paul, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, will compare that to our baptism. And then he said they had spiritual food and spiritual drink. They had manna and water from the rock. And so God sustained them in the time of the desert. Uh, it was about 38 years longer than it should have been, because after two years of heading to the promised land, of 
being prepared to be the people of God, having the law delivered, the tabernacle built, the priest installed, the people learning the basic rules of behavior under the system of God. They get to Kadesh Barnea and they go, we can't take the land. They listen to the 10 spies who said they couldn't. Uh, but those who were faithful, Joshua and Caleb, they did go to go in. All right, so when they went in, verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after being encircled for seven days. And so in one of the most uh, uh, oddball military maneuver in history, uh, the people for once a day, for six days, walked around the city, then went back to camp. Then on the seventh day, marched seven times round. I'm sure they're getting tired of walking by then, but then the walls fell. The walls fell when they gave the shout and they blew the uh, ram's horn, which were the uh, same horns that they priests blew to call the people to worship. The walls fell down. The people of Jericho were destroyed. Uh, the conquering of the land began. And then in that town, verse 31, is one of the faithful. Faithful Rahab, the one who regarded that God had given their land to the people of Israel. So she sided with them when they came to her house for shelter. When they came to her house for uh, sanctuary, she hid the spies. She saved their lives. She, let, she was able to uh, guide them out of the city and get them back to their people. Uh, she asked to be remembered when they came in. They said, put the cord in the window. Everybody in the house will be spared. They did. They were. And she is now counted with the faithful. Not only is she counted with the faithful in the genealogy of Jesus in uh, the New Testament, she's even in the genealogy of Jesus. So she ends up marrying somebody from uh, the tribe of Judah, and she's in the lineage of Jesus. And so here she is, someone who, uh, you know, these other people are sort of, you know, uh, well, the usual suspects of faith, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and then the harlot, the pagan harlot from the terrible town. Well, she had faith too. And so uh, the life of faith is what brings one in to relationship with God. And it is what brings one in to this uh, chapter often called the Hall of Fame of the Faithful. And then, well, we've got up to the taking of the promised land. And now how many stories could be told then? And so the Hebrew writer says, uh, what more should we say time would fail? Yep, time would fail. And now he just goes on uh, to mention countless faithful ones, beginning in verse 32. Time would fail if I spoke of Gideon, the fifth judge of Israel, the, the humble man, the, the, the one that God called as he was uh, beating out his, his um, wheat in a wine press. I can't think of a more miserable thing to do beat out uh, wheat in a wine press. The, the time of the wheat harvest is a hot time. Uh, you, you don't harvest the wheat until uh, you know the, the grain begins to dry, ripen and dry. And then uh, you, uh, they separated it by, uh, you know, they, don't get, they didn't get to run it through a combine and just have all the grain go in the bin and all the, uh, all the chaff come out the back of the combine. They had to take the heads uh, of the wheat and then they would beat them with uh, large uh, sticks. They had these big uh, flat-ended sticks, kind of something kind of sort of like maybe a, a cricket uh, bat. And uh, that would uh, uh, drive the heads out and let the chaff remain. And then normally you do this in the open air. And you, you're depending on the wind. 
So here we are, you know, a very late summer, very early fall, hot time of year. You're doing a job that's meant to be done out in the wind where the, the chaff can be driven away. You're in a wine press. It's all staying there in there, in there with you. It doesn't have a chance to blow away because, and I just imagine how hot, dirty, dusty, what a, what a miserable day that would have been. And there the angel shows up and says, Hey, almighty warrior. As he sticks his head out of the wine press window, out of the door, all covered with dirt and chaff goes, what now? Who? <laughs> yeah. You mighty warrior. And so, uh, by giving him assurance and signs, he does make him a mighty warrior. He tears down the local idol. Uh, the people of the village want to kill him. Kind of a theme there, right? In the lives of the faithful. You do faithful things. The people of the village want to kill you. Uh, his father actually talks them down from that. Uh, he then gathers this massive army of Israel to go fight the Midianites. And God ends up sending all but 300 of them home so that it might be fully known that the victory is the Lord's. It's not based on the might of the army we raise. He actually, again, what was it? He had nearly 100,000. He sent home all but 0.3% uh, of the army, all, all but 0.3% of the people who showed up. He, he sends them home. So over 99.5% of the army that shows up, he sends them home. And with that little teeny rim that he beats the Midianites. Uh, then we have uh, uh, Barak mentioned, uh, the fourth judge of Israel, judges, these two are mentioned actually out of order. Uh, he's the one who led Israel into battle uh, with against the Canaanites, and they defeated uh, Sisera. Uh, he's the one who, uh, you know, his doubtfulness at going first to attack uh, is why God says, well, we'll let Deborah go too, and uh, uh, let the, the glory of this go to the woman, not you. And so we might not, uh, we might speak of him not as a great hero of faith, but yet the Hebrew writer puts him uh, in here uh, with those uh, who were uh, for faithful. Then we have Samson, the uh, 13th judge of Israel, the man of tremendous strength, who prospered greatly as long as he was faithful. But Samson's life is known in many ways more for his unfaithfulness than his faithfulness. Yet in the end, he was faithful and in his last act, he killed more Philistines. He did at all his other acts. The great strong man of Israel is listed with the faithful. Jephthah, the uh, ninth judge of Israel, the one who uh, had the great uh, uh, victory over the uh, Ammonites, God giving him the victory, and he goes home and makes a rash vow and ends up with his daughter being the one subject to that, that she will be either, depending on who is interpreting it, sacrificed or dedicated to the Lord. And one thing we see here uh, is nobody's here with a life of sinless perfection. Uh, some of these people we've got more beef with than we've got uh, commendation. Uh, these are all imperfect characters, yet all of them in the end are faithful, and they are counted as faithful. Uh, reminds us a bit what Peter said about faithful Lot and how God rescued him from the oppression of sensual men uh, when God brought uh, Lot uh, and uh, his daughters out of Sodom. Uh, most of us, we might go real hard on Lot, but inspiration calls him faithful. And so um, I wonder sometimes if in our judgments of others, we're quite a bit more harsh than we ought to be. And we're, uh, we think about some of these people to, with whom uh, in our lives, uh, those who've uh, either gone before or those who are accompanying now in our journeys, 
I wonder how many of them, so many would say, well, that's not a faithful person for this, that, and the other thing. And yet if some uh, summary of faithfulness were written, uh, would they not be included? And so uh, maybe a, a judgment that of faithfulness that includes uh, Samson, Barak, and Jephthah, well, and even to some degree our next one, David, uh, that might need to be considered. Uh, not just, well, can we find fault with them? Sure, we can. Who Who is human you can't find fault with, right? So we have David, the man after God's own heart. We know his great life of faithfulness. We also know uh, uh, some several incidents of great disappointment or actually he himself is terribly grieved over his sin and repents. And then we have uh, Samuel. Uh, we know him more as his work as a prophet, uh, but he was the last uh, uh, judge of Israel. Then it, it just mentions the prophets, not by name, but by by group, uh, the prophets. I, how many times could we talk about how many lessons could we draw from Elijah and Elisha, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, Isaiah and Daniel? And then, oh, the minor prophets. Yeah, they just they didn't leave as much writing, but uh, men like uh, uh, Obadiah, men like uh, Zephaniah, men like like uh, Jonah and Nahum. Uh, then the prophets who didn't leave a body of writing, a uh, number of them mentioned in the Chronicles and the Kings, uh, Gad and and Nathan and Asaph and um, Micaiah. And so uh, there's an Obadiah, so many others. And so these prophets, uh, we think about what Jesus said about the prophets. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you, and cast insults at you, and spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they used to treat their father, their fathers used to treat the prophets. And Jesus said in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build tombs to the prophets, and adorn them with monuments of righteousness and say, if we'd been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. But he went on to say, you're a witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? All right, well, I said we're going to have one lesson tonight. It's about faith. We'll pause for a really short sub-lesson. There's a danger in externally honoring these guys. We are honoring these people of faith. That's exactly what we're doing tonight. We are we are giving these stories as examples, uh, as as things to encourage, as things to imitate, as as names that are great. And you think about how many of the names of people we just mentioned, how many people have named their children after these people. And yet, there was a generation in the time of Jesus who did the same type of thing, but without a dedication to the same type of actual faith, they fell into the trap of an exterior, external honoring, but without the real substance of a life of faith behind it as those did in Jesus' day, so we could do now. We could name our children David and Nathan. I know a gospel preacher, he named his kids uh, David and Nathan because they, they were such good friends. 
uh, and, and they were faithful to God. I know another fellow, a friend of mine, he, he named his boys Joshua and Caleb. Uh, and I don't know how, but how many Calebs <laughs> I know in the church. And uh, recently, uh, somebody I know, uh, they named one of the kids Abijah. It's like, okay, <laughs> I could go on a little deep catalog for that one. Uh, but how many Elijahs do we know, right? And all these other, uh, so so there's an honoring. There's an honoring of, uh, of of these faithful men, just e- even down to the naming of our children. Of course, I have a James, a Jacob, and a John. It's not just because they have J names. That does did work out for us well. But uh, uh, they were picked because also of the type of people that these were in the scriptures. But we can do these the same things that Jesus is uh, warn people about if we don't actually carry out a life of faith in our own life. All right, so we had the, uh, the short list of names. Now instead of names in verse 33, we have faithfulness referred to by a brief description, a few action verbs. And notice the action of these verbs in this next to describe uh, what goes on. They put, uh, by faith, they conquered kingdoms. All right, again, we already had Gideon, Barak, Japheth, David, uh, and, and others. Uh, we had uh, performed acts of righteousness. And so uh, we think about them worshiping. We think about them honoring. Uh, we think about them making a dedication of things uh, to God in their, in their victories, of offering great sacrifices, obtained the promises. Well, they, they obtained the land. They obtained deliverance. Uh, they obtained um, obtained descendants. They, they obtained victory. They uh, saw the exiles returned by the promise of God. They shut the mouths of lions. Of course, we immediately think of Daniel. Of course, Samson did it too. Also, there was a Benaiah uh, who also uh, fought a lion in a pit who's mentioned. Uh, they quenched the power of fire. Well, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They escaped the edge of the sword. David from Saul, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, all the prophets who were threatened with force from weakness were made strong. Now, Samson, the strong man, was made uh, weak through his uh, uh, transgression, but then he became strong again by faith. Uh, David, Hezekiah, rising from his sickbed uh, to defeat the Assyrians. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. I think they're about Saul's son, Jonathan. Women received back their dead by resurrection. The widow Zarephath's son, the, the Shumanite woman, whose son was raised by Elisha. Others were tortured, not accepting their release. Uh, Jeremiah is one we think about uh, there uh, in particular. Uh, but all of the uh, thing about so many others who would have been uh, uh, their record unknown, uh, but people who were so so mistreated, but they stayed faithful. Uh, also, um, on that one, uh, we, we know in the Maccabees, uh, there's a goodly number of faithful people who were persecuted by the Greeks, of whom that's true. So that might be a reference to the faithful people there from an extra biblical source. But they did this in order they might obtain a better resurrection. So they do this in faith, looking to the reward of God. Others experience mocking, scourging, and chains, and imprisonment. So the list of people we could name as doing that uh, are great. Um, Then we see 
They were stoned, which was capital punishment among the Jews. Uh, Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, uh, the high priest, uh, was stoned uh, by the king of Judah, somebody that he had helped uh, to raise. It said this, this is how Jeremiah died. So stoning. They were sawn in two. Uh, this is what Jewish tradition has said from the earliest times, uh, even in the uh, in the written records about uh, Isaiah. Uh, they were tempted. So you think about the the sore temptation to return uh, to regular society just by giving up on your dedication to God. Uh, each of these own each of these people, uh, you know, had to face their own Gethsemane as Jesus did, and, and had terrible uh, times. Of temptation, they were put to death by the sword. There's a Uriah the prophet of Jeremiah 26 uh, that that happened that way. Uh, Elijah said this in the Old Testament. He said, "I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken the covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword." So it seems like running prophets through with the sword was a pastime enough that. Uh, uh, there, Elijah could mention it as a rather common occurrence, and we just don't know how many that happened to and what the details of such would have been. They went about in sheepskin, in goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. So these men who, by their service and devotion to God, uh, we might have expected to have properly received reward to live in nice houses and have fine clothes and live comfortable lives, they had none of that. And so, in their destitution, they end up in this uh, these clothes of poverty, sheepskins and goatskins, uh, so much so that it, it kind of becomes the official dress of, of the prophets. It's one of the reasons why John the Baptist came dressed that way, that everybody go, oh, well, he's dressed that way. He's a prophet. That's how prophets dress. Zechariah has a prophecy about false prophets who are uh, prophesying for money uh, and for comfort, and it'll turn out that they, it's not going well, so they give it up. But look at how it's described, Zechariah 13, 4. It'll come about in that day, the prophet will each be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies, and they will not put on the hairy robe in order to deceive. And so uh, this was the uniform of the prophets uh, to wear the hairy robe. And again, John the Baptist wore it in, in, uh, as a sign that he was a prophet of God, so he could easily be distinguished, but he wore it in honesty and truth. Uh, some of these decided, you know, uh, if this false prophet business isn't going so well, well, we can hang that up and we can try for something else. So about these, it says, they are men of whom the world was not worthy. Wanderings in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. So no, not in palaces, not in nice places. They are, they are outcasts. They are made outcasts because of their faith. Elijah, in particular, we know, was driven away and and made to live in a cave. Jesus would say a similar thing about himself. He said, the son of man has no place to lay his head. So all of these, and again, the world is not worthy of these because these are not men of the world. These are men of God. These are men on a different level and the level that we are to be called to, not just honoring them again with monuments, uh, with tombs like the Jews did or or with, with names and telling the stories and congratulating ourselves that we know these people and then going about our lives without faith. No, these are men who are connected to us because, verse 39, all of these having gained approval through their faith. Well, I know of no other way to gain approval but through faith. 
right? They gained approval through their faith. As Habakkuk would say, is quoted multiple times in the New Testament, the just shall live by faith. They did not receive what was promised. Yeah, they got some of the promises. Uh, they, they got the land and they got some victories. It said back in verse 33, by faith they obtained promises. But the big promise, the promise that's in the Messiah, the promise of full redemption, the promise of full adoption, the promise of the fullness of everything, that was not through the system they lived under. There was a better covenant with a better promise and better provision to come. That's what we've received. Now, again, with arguments from the greater to uh, from the lesser to the greater, if these guys were that faithful without getting what was promised, how faithful should you be who get what's promised? Because God, verse 40, provided something better for us. So these guys were in the prep work phase for us, right? Paul, the Galatians, to the Galatians, the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. These guys under the elementary principles, these guys under the beginning stages, these guys under the tutorial stage, live this well and live that faithful. How much more so those who of us who have received it? Apart from God, God says uh, that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Something better has been provided for us. And so that helps us explain what Jesus said uh, when he uh, said about John the Baptist, right? That um, John the Baptist uh, was the greatest man ever born, but uh, those in the kingdom will be greater than him. Or Jesus in uh, John 10, 23, he said to his disciples, Blessed are your eyes, which see the things you see. For I say to you, many prophets and kings wished to see what you see, and they did not see them, and hear the things you hear, and they did not hear them. And so we have been able now, of course, we didn't see it directly, but it's been told to us, and assured in, in uh, trusted promises and a solid word, that all of this has now been given. And they live without it being given. They look forward to it. We know that angels long to look for it, and it has been revealed now in the church. Here there were kings and prophets that longed for it. They made careful search and inquiry about what it was all about, and they didn't get it, but we got it. And so now we are made perfect, and they would not be made perfect apart from us. And so what we have is the perfection. What we have is the ideal realized. What, of course, we have is Christ. And all of these things, when it talks about faith, let's remember it's not just, it's not a belief in a belief. It's not faith. It's not a disembodied faith that, you know, we, we just got to keep on believing, right? Uh, was that Fleetwood Mac? Keep on believing. <laughs> now, it's not just that, yes, we keep on believing, but we're not believing in believing, right? Uh, was it the monkeys don't stop believing? Uh, you know, okay, no, don't stop believing. But it's not just believing for believing. It's believing in Christ, right? And it's not just the, even the, the Bible or truth for the Bible's sake or for truth's sake, but all of it for the sake of Christ. Jesus in John 5 told the Jews, you search the scriptures, thinking in them you have life, but these are they that bear witness of me. The faith is centered in Christ. The hope, the trust, the confidence the organizing principle of our life is in following after 
Christ. It's not just that we believe to believe, because then I guess you can just believe what you want, which is what the world tell you today. You can believe, you know, as long as you believe in something. No, you, you got to believe in, in Christ. He's the only thing to believe in. In him is salvation. In him is the fullness of the promise. In him is the working of God. And so these had faith toward that. We are now to have faith in that. And Hebrews 12 is the next verse begins of the next chapter, which will be, Lord willing, our next study begins with what words? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. So next time, Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus. There is the object and the goal of our faith. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.